it's almost like a twist on what normally happens. You find a kid that has been misbehaved. What did you do? I don't know. How did you get all dirty? <laughs> I don't know. I was playing in some kind of other dimension, and I awoke <laughs> an evil queen and brought her to our world, and she's trying to take over the world. You go to timeout right now. <laughs> To Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is Glumpuddle. <laughs> and I'm Jim Fan. And I'm Rillian. Looking at chapter seven of uh, The Magician's Nephew. And uh, we last left our heroes. Um, the unthinkable happens at the end of the chapter. The witch actually opens the door, and there she is, Aunt Letty, and everybody can see her. It's not a secret at all anymore. And what is going to happen? Worlds colliding in Chaos this chapter. Ensues. Yes, worlds colliding in this chapter, really more than any other point, I guess, in the Narnia books, right? As far as like the worlds. Uh, our world and Narnia colliding uh, and mixing up like an actual figure from Narnia just running around and in some cases jumping around. Oh my goodness, what happens at the end of this <laughs> chapter? It's kind of insane. I remember, I like, I remember this chapter as a kid, not like where and when I, I was when my dad read it the first time, but I remember like, oh, this is kind of wild. <laughs> it's one of those things where it, when you're reading it, you're like. Oh my gosh, that's it's like really happening and it's kind of crazy. Um, and there's parts that are, I just, yeah, they're just so ridiculous that you enjoy it for that aspect alone. I went into this chapter trying to, I had a little question kind of when I was, I was rereading it, um, kind of in the back of my head, and that's why is this not the moment where Lewis jumped the shark with Narnia? Um, because I don't think it is. Um, you guys are familiar with the term jump the shark, yes? Yes. No, Ex- educate me. Okay. Um, I'd love to. I was just about to do it anyway for any listeners that haven't <laughs> heard it before. So jumping the shark uh, basically refers to the moment in a like a show, a movie, book series, whatever it may be, where it's like, okay, you're officially have exhausted all your ideas. This is gone. It's, it's gone on way too long, okay? Uh, you're you're trying too hard. This is long since, like it, its expiration date is wait. We're way past it. Um, was that was is that a pretty good summary, Jim? Fan of your kind of understanding of jumping the shark? Yes. Okay. Although I think that it, it's one of those things where I think like the story of where the term actually came from is pretty. It explains it so well. <laughs> sure. So uh, it came from the show Happy Days from what the seventies. Ron Howard starred in Happy Days, and there was an episode where um, the the show had been going on for seasons and seasons, and people kept watching it, but it clearly had been going on for too long, and the writers were struggling for ideas, and there was an episode where the Fonz is water skiing, and he like goes off a ramp and narrowly manages to avoid getting getting eaten by a shark, basically, which is like, and it's kind of the moment everyone realized this show has clearly gone on way too long. They need to end it already. It's been it's going on for about five seasons too long. They, they're going too far. I'd say pretty much every superhero has jumped the shark at some point, but then they keep on getting rebooted and so reinvented. It's kind of like no when Psych finally does an episode about zombies, and then they're like, you know what, let's just end this the season finale, series finale next episode. Yeah. It's gone or, too far. Yep. Or in the Hobbit movie, the second one, where they're 
you know, the barrel down the river and then... The- oh, yeah, in the river of questionable physics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that one. I was it- like... But that's what the, I I had heard the phrase. I didn't really know what it meant, and I certainly didn't know where it came from. That's it's literally jumping the shark. I'm have to yeah. look this up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it seems like having the White Witch. She's not the White Witch yet, but like, but having the White Witch, um, you know, like she's riding on top of a handsome, and uh, there's actually a moment when. It crashes into. Oh, here's a fun fact I didn't notice. It crashes into the lamppost. The handsome the crashes lamp into post. the lamppost. Yep. The witch manages to jump off it just in time and land on the back of the horse that's pulling the handsome. Crazy stuff. And um, but it's just that the 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 mixed the world's colliding aspect of it i guess of a prominent character from narnia just running around or jumping around literally in our world that almost makes it seem like okay jack um <laughs> it seems like you've gone a little far but i've never felt that way before so i, I was re- really reading this chapter going why don't i feel that way why do i why do i feel like it works i feel like maybe it's because obviously there's enough that's described in the book where it's really ridiculous but a lot of her escapades in London half happen off screen. So we know she goes out, she's in the cab raining havoc around the city, but we're not there with her. We only see her when she leaves and when she comes back. We kind of hear about it later. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, I think if we were following that whole journey and process, I think that maybe would be, feel too much but the fact that netflix series maybe yeah you know maybe <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just uh, it'll be a whole like 10 minute interlude where you're just like looking at your watch and be like okay let's 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 get on with the story i don't know uh, the the witch what, what what does uncle andrew describe you know like getting treated to uh, i guess i think it might be later in the book when uh he goes into more detail about how he, he treated her to this crazy expensive meal and she stole stole from a very reputable jeweler and <laughs> i can only imagine the cra- i don't know I, I think i would watch that show <laughs> just a little a, a, a little sitcom about uncle andrew and the witch um and <laughs> she just does terrible things and he's just like oh my gosh um i don't know netflix I, Sounds I, I, I oddly necess- horrifying. And- <laughs> I'll tell you what I just appreciated. Just right now, I just watched the scene. Fonzie jumps the shark on mute while listening to your <laughs> you guys in the background. Like that would be the way to like watch if this was like a video podcast. This is the way to watch it. Is just like play that clip and in the background. As you I guys was talking. pretty sure you weren't grinning at what Jim Fan was saying. As <laughs> no. compelling as her point was, I was pretty sure that <laughs> wasn't why you were. A grinning. plus. No, it for was engagement. the mix because it's not that interesting a scene, but it was the mix of both. <laughs> the the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts uh, our kind of indirect audio commentary of that scene there you basically go. <laughs> um uh, question uh how much um danger is the world actually in you think the, the witch has been unleashed on our world and diggory certainly feels a sense of urgency gotta that's his whole mission in this chapter gotta get the witch back into the wood between the worlds and then ideally back into turn i guess certainly out of this world how much danger is the world actually in right now? I don't think it's it's not like the the world is in jeopardy, but I do see it almost like uh I don't know, you didn't want Dr. Jekyll running loose in the streets of London either, you know. Uh, I mean, I kind of get the feeling that people are in danger, but I don't think that uh 
humanity you know, as a whole. Humanity is yeah is not yeah. A, I mean, exactly Jeopardy. like at this point or very soon afterwards, like our world has nukes. Like <laughs> you know, we can deal with problems if but, we really have to. But we don't know if it would kill her yet. She might be like Galadriel in you know, Rings of Power, where like she gets nuked, but she's fine. I mean, we we don't know. Well, hang on, but the, the world doesn't have nukes at this point, though. They're so. coming. They're coming. That's right, because this is way before. You're right. This is well, like you know, 1900 ish or something, right? That's true. They don't. Need, I don't even know if they have airplanes yet. They may not even have airplanes. Wow. So the, wow, <laughs> they really might be in trouble. You know, I, <laughs> but no. But you know. But if they do, if, she, if if Jadis learned to speak German, then yes, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like an alternate history. Oh, oh my man. gosh! I mean, you Don't know make that, that Netflix. <laughs> if they if they did set um if they did set this story in like modern times, you know there'd be like a, a cutaway to the president, like you know, Mr. President, here's what's going on in London, <laughs> and he'd have to he'd have to make the decision if he's going to fire the nuke or not. Um, it, let's if they had to do the twenty episode adaptation of the magician's nephew, there'd be a whole episode just about that. Um. But, um, Woman in the high castle, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I there mean, you go. <laughs> we see she's very strong. Um, great scene where the confrontation with Aunt Letty is really fun. Um, Aunt it Letty, is fun. It's kind of like Lewis is trying to, I don't know, he's trying to, I think he does a good job, but he's trying to show she is dangerous, but he's, you know, conveniently having Aunt Letty like, yeah, it's just my chance. She landed on the mattress, so she didn't break all the bones in her body. Right. She has bare arms, for heaven's sake. Obvious, which I, Aunt Letty does not approve of. Obviously, not. hugely danger to our society. One way to, oh, I love it. Aunt Letty thinks she's drunk. I love it. Um, yeah. I think it's so... I was re, When I was rereading this, like the part where Aunt Letty gets thrown onto the mattress and, you know, she is fine except you know just maybe being a little shaken up and a few bruises like that like when i picture like you know this like little old lady in my head like i picture my oma like she that's completely the way she would have been too just you know this is how it is and then uh-huh. just in, like incredibly resilient I, I love the fact <laughs> that the witch gets told off by aunt letty like the witch needed a good talking to she yes. needed a, a, a good a, a good right a good schooling still. you know the, <laughs> the witch of all people needed that to be uh, to be told you're not so special um jim fan on that note of kind of how uh of uh, your impressions of Aunt Letty. Um, There's a a great little bit here I'm going to read from the book. Uh, Lewis writes, Aunt Letty was a very tough old lady. Ants often were in those days. Uh, Jim Fan, are you an aunt? I am an aunt. Okay, do you have ants? I do. Do you feel that they are tougher than you? From a previous generation, do you feel that... uh, is has there? I mean, I'm not going to ask you if ants really were tough uh, uh, 120 years ago, but what's your impression as an ant in terms of the toughness of ants? Is there truth in what Lewis is, is selling us here? Um, I you would, seem pretty tough to me. <laughs> my my particular situation, I wasn't super close to my aunt, so it's hard to say. But okay. you know, everyone's tough in their own way. But I would say she reminds me more of my Oma than my okay. aunts. Gotcha. I like how he's like, ants were tougher in those days and everyone had servants in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who were having the best day of their life. I love that little, I love the little bit of uh, the housemaid who was having a beautifully exciting morning. Um, uh, the, the, the mixture of the mundane and the fantastical is a huge thing in this chapter. It is sort of funny how like Lewis almost plays it off initially as being like a little more serious that the witches escaped on the streets of London and then he quickly makes it a, a humorous thing. I think it's the humor of 
it's kind of what Uncle Andrew is going to get later, just completely humiliated uh, with the, the animals planting him in the ground and stuff. And here we're seeing the witch just get, again, it, the fact that Aunt Letty just gives her a talking to, but puts her in time out, basically. I know that she ends up getting thrown across the room, but still, just the <laughs> fact that she, and then she tries to throw magic on her and it doesn't work. Just the fact that there was that moment of humiliation of, oh my gosh, Aunt Letty one, witch zero, for just a moment there. Um, <laughs> for half a second. <laughs> and I just, I love that that happened. So I think that's kind of a lot, that's where a lot of the humor is coming from, I think. And, and later in the chapter, we see, is it this one or is it the next chapter where, no, it's the ne- beginning of the next chapter, actually, where they're like, that the crowd is like kind of mocking her. Yeah. I think it's the interesting thing, too, where it's in all of the witches interactions with people in our world with the exception of uncle andrew who to his credit is still you know a little appalled at some of the things that she's doing um most people are just absolutely not impressed by her so she she's on top because she has a lot of physical strength and she has a lot of power and she has a presence but she does not command any amount of respect from anybody um, which I think is very interesting. And she's kind of oblivious to it. Least of all, Aunt Letty gives her any respect at all. Yes, very least of all. There's <laughs> an e- email I got from Colonel Clink. Um, Colonel Clink writes, Aunt Letty is boring and unimaginative, but compared to other boring grown-up characters in the Chronicles of Narnia, she's kind of cool. It's sort of <laughs> awesome how she completely no-sells Jadis's attempts to intimidate her. It's implied she really cares about her sister, and it's kind of nice she tries to keep Uncle Andrew from being a bad influence on Diggory. Uh, spinoff? <laughs> the Adventures of Aunt Letty. The Adventures of Aunt Letty? <laughs> dangerous, dangerous oh. words. <laughs> Don't joke. Don't joke about those things. In, in the It'll Talking Beast Facebook, Talking Beast Facebook group, um, Anna suggested doing uh, a podcast episode about kind of the unexpected, or I guess basically the the unsung heroes of Narnia. Maybe Aunt Letty's one of them. She deserves a medal. Um, Chewbacca didn't, but she should get a medal for just standing up to uh, the witch for just a moment. There, Chewbacca totally deserves a medal. Apparently, because he didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, and episode nine doesn't count. Um, uh, but there's some um, oh, funny email from uh, Brian Wood said, the temptation to take things into your own hands seems to run large in this book, literally and figuratively, which I took to be a joke about Aunt Lady being thrown through the air. So, haha, Brian. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I got it. I like it. That is a, b- a big theme in The Magician's Nephew, no more clearly than here. Um, so yeah, there is, uh, a lot of comedy throughout this chapter and a lot of it is, like I said, kind of the, the mixture of the mundane with the absurd and fantastical, which is sort of interesting because the charm chapter is very much not funny. Uh Uh-huh. That's true. It's very, uh, she's a very real threat and here she's mocked. Um, so there is humor throughout, but there's also some very serious stuff. Um, most notably, I think when Diggory hears Aunt Letty talking about the land of youth. And it's such an interesting idea that, um, you know, Lewis basically writes that if Diggory had heard that before, he wouldn't have thought much of it. But now he knows that other worlds really do exist. And I, I love the fact that he's only had he's only a few minutes away from having arrived back from this adventure. And already everything looks different to him. Just knowing that there are other worlds out there instantly, it completely changes the way he looks at the world. And now... 
And it's kind of a heartbreaking idea that comes to him of, you know, he could spend, you know, he could, you know, jump from pool to pool looking for something that might cure his mother. Um, which that's also, and I'm not saying spinoff, but that's just such a dark idea. And he, he would have, that's something I've really thought about a lot is like, what if he was allowed to do that? He could almost, he could, cause there's apparently no time, you know, like this, there's the usual muddle about times he could jump around from pool to pool to pool and maybe no time at all would pass, uh, in London. So he could have all the time in the world to find a cure for his mother. Potentially. It's just a really haunting idea. It's also interesting because Lewis kind of brings it back home because like, cause he does frame it initially as it's not just that his mother is sick. His mother, Diggory knows his mother is going to die. He even says, he tells Polly, uh, she is going to die. And so I I thought it was kind of interesting how Lewis kind of just kind of anchors it again at this point in the story that, you know, for, for a lot of things, even like for a lot of... Uh, Diggory's just in a place where he's kind of having to grow up a lot quicker than Polly is having to. Like a lot of things that are funny or games for Polly, even with like the witch running around, for her it might be sort of funny or at least amusing. But for Diggory, it's it feels like literally a matter of life and death uh, if the woman were to find his mother in her room. And so it's kind of interesting how we, we'd see sort of a juxtaposition between Polly, who's kind of more like a, a, a regular kid, and then Diggory, in many ways, he he doesn't have a lot of a sense of humor. Um, and he doesn't have really, I think it's almost like he's having to gain some imagination. Yeah, I was going to say, he doesn't have a lot of outside of the box thinking, he, a lot of No, and it, it's and I'm I'm kind of think realizing some of this just as I'm saying it, you know. I'm thinking about, uh, he, yeah, he doesn't have as much of an outside the box type of. It's almost like he has less imagination, even on Charn, where the you know Polly's like, let's not ring the bell, you know. But for he's like, well, I just have to see what'll happen. Um, you know, I, we were talking to some friends of ours, and they were they had a kid living with them who had a very terrible. It was a young kid. Very terrible childhood. And we said, hey, how, how's he doing? And they said, he doesn't make believe. I said, what do you mean? He said, he never pretends things aren't what they are. And it was very sad. Uh, but this kid was kind of in, in a survival mode. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that with Diggory. And, and maybe Lewis is bringing in, I mean, he's obviously finding similarities from his own childhood because his mother died when he was about eight or nine. But I think that, you know, it's sort of funny because I think part of it, not funny, but, you know, through this chapter, it's sort of a funny chapter, but through Diggory's perspective, it's real. None of it's really right. very funny for him. Yeah. In the middle of all this, there's the concern that what if uh, the witch, because he's concerned the witch is going to go into his mother's bedroom and he has to figure out a way to stop that. And so I think that's one of the things that makes maybe keeps this from being the jump the shark moment it easily could be is that emotional anchor of, at the center of it, it's Diggory trying to make sure that, you know, she doesn't actually go in there, whatever commotion the witch might cause, if she's bl blasting walls. And, of course, Diggory doesn't know that her magic doesn't work. So, for all he knows, she's just going to go around blasting everything, and what's that going to do to his mother? That's kind of at the center of all this. And I think that keep... I think we're, we're, we're too busy being worried about Diggory and Diggory's mother 
to be bothered, I think, by some of the things that could could um, feel a little little much or a little absurd, I think. So I think it's that emotional connection is one of the central things that keeps it from going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else have I got here in my notes? Um, ah, he has notes. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, it's just, yeah, we, we don't do that. You could have notes, just not we, shared yeah. notes. Yeah, we don't have to just wing I'm it. I'm sure, it was really, you notes. definitely have your notes, right? Definitely. Up there. Um, <laughs> another thing I think that uh, makes this all feel real is, is kind of absurd as the situation kind of is. It just feels real. And one of them, I think, is the concern about Diggory's mother. And there's another little bit that Lewis kind of pauses at. It's when Polly is Polly goes home. And I love them them questioning her, like, where were you? And she could honest, pretty honestly say, I don't know exactly. And they come to the conclusion, well, you were off somewhere and you were playing in a pool or something, which I guess isn't exactly that she didn't know about, which isn't exactly untrue. What, um, what I love about that is that you know, how often you, it's almost like a twist on – what normally happens, you find a kid that's been misbehaved. What did you do? I don't know. How did you get all dirty? I don't know. You know? I was playing in another world. And <laughs> yeah, I, was exactly. playing in a, I was playing in some kind of other dimension. And I awoke an evil queen and brought her to our world. And she's trying to take over the world. You go to timeout right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a bit where, so Polly has to go to her um, room for a couple hours. So she's waiting around for her punishment to end. Meanwhile, Diggory... Um, kind of has his nose, you know, to the glass, basically waiting for uh, the witch to come back. He very sensibly reasons the only thing I can really do is wait. And um, uh, Lewis says he would rather be in Polly's position because she just has to wait for her two hours to be up. Where Diggory, every minute or so, he sees a, a car or something and goes, "Oh, maybe, maybe this is, you know, maybe this is uh, the witch." Oh no, just kidding, it's not. And I, again, I love that. Um, cut away to the mundane to something that you can, you can relate to. I can relate to the annoyance of um, like when, uh, when company's coming over and okay, they're a few minutes late and I just, I can't just like go off and do whatever until they arrive. I'm like, when are they going to get here? And I just have to like stay glued to the door. Um, just how I am. <laughs> it's like, when, when are they going to walk in? Um, it's because I'm an introvert, I guess. I've got to be on edge. There's company coming over. But the point <laughs> is I relate to this. I, I, I appreciate Lewis's cutaway to the mundane, to what it's like to just the simplest thing, like what it's like to be waiting for something and not quite sure. And he likes being in Polly's position, knowing you just got to wait for your two hours to be up as opposed to Diggory's position where you don't exactly know when how long he's going to have to wait. Um, I've always said the characters in Narnia aren't super duper developed, but what Lewis gives us feels real and relatable. And this is something where it's like, yeah, I recognize that in myself. Um, So it makes it feel real despite not being Tolkien level of detail. Well, I think ultimately across every genre of book, um, ultimately every genre is about people even if they're not humans right like talking animals or something they're still the people right there's really no book that's not about people and so that's the common thing and that's what has there's really a book can be all types of imaginative and have break all sorts of rules whether it's sci-fi fantasy but if the people don't behave in a way that's realistic in terms of like okay this this is how you know, people, uh, if you look at like, well, this person is just shrugging it off. No, a normal person will get angry or, and there's no explanation for it. You know, those are the things where stories can kind of fall apart. Um, 
that's why like we've talked about sometimes other things oh that's that realistic like oh sometimes i don't care if that's realistic what i do care about is are the people exactly in the story are and, they and, realistic and usually if the people are realistic or you believe in them enough then you either don't notice or don't care the things in the story that don't make sense yeah, yeah. and sometimes like the biggest like things that's like, if you watch the pitch meeting you know, funny pitch meeting channel the funniest ones are like the ones where like the people aren't making sense not because like oh that yeah, the stooge can fly that's not interesting is like okay whatever you can imagine a world where someone can fly but what i love about lewis is a lot of times like the people they can be different they're different from each other but they're usually like look at aunt letty you're like i know someone like this exactly i can name someone who like something like this would happen and they would respond that same way because there are people like this and how many stories are way longer than one of the Narnia books and can't get one character with that level of I, I can believe I can really believe that, that character is real. Lewis mm-hmm. is Lewis the Lewis does that with Aunt Letty, who just has a few lines. Um and that's the thing that again, this could easily be a jump the shark chapter and it's not because you still believe in the people and you're still invested in the situation. And, and that's um, something I like even about the heroes in Lewis's stories is I think that a lot of the heroes like Diggory and Polly they're because they they're flawed and they're much more human. Like one of my complaints about, I mean, and I I enjoy the Harry Potter books, but one of my complaints is that the most interesting characters are not the heroes. A lot of times, like the secondary characters, right? Like Snape or you know some of these other characters are are more interesting because J.K. Rowling I think plays with them a little more. You know, maybe makes them a little more kind of have more warts and stuff. It just in more complexity the, uh, perhaps the mm-hmm. flaws and nuances to good and evil and stuff but uh you know yeah i i i, th- I guess i don't know anyone like jadis maybe that's the point <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so i would hope I have so. to check myself a little bit i do and you know who you are if you're listening um but um uh yeah i, I feel that this is a good opportunity to really emphasize this point about there's just because you know this is a podcast where we you know we're taking apart every detail uh, of something uh, and we're really looking under the hood um but at the end of the day either you but in my mind it's it's a lot like food you you eat a meal either you enjoy it or you don't either it works or it doesn't or, or regardless of and you're not going to change my mind you're not going to if i eat something and i enjoy it you're not going to show me a list of ingredients and say well actually this wasn't the best quality ingredients I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I don't know what to tell you. I ate it and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing here on the podcast is I think it's a retrospective. You know, like we we're looking at we had an experience, but why did we have that experience? So we ate that meal. OK, and we had that experience. We weren't totally conscious of why we were enjoying it or not enjoying it, whatever it was. And now we're looking back and saying, OK, what ingredients is what made that work? Um and uh, I think we probably have the three of us probably have reputations for oh you're the more intellectual kind of you gotta your brain's constantly going through you know the movie or the book or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying that no, we're we're not necessarily. We had an experience. We just now, know big and, words. Yes, and now we're looking back and trying to figure out why we had that that experience. And often there may be a lot of intellectual reasons why a story or there's a plot hole or something doesn't add up or doesn't make sense. The end of Jurassic park is one of my favorite examples where, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg says, okay. And then the T-Rex, uh, comes in at the very end. And, and then someone says, but where does the T-Rex come from? I mean, how does the T-Rex sneak up on somebody? Where would the T-Rex come from? And Spielberg just says, 
from frame left. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter because you're rooting for you're, 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 you're too busy going, yay, T-Rex, to worry about the fact that it makes no sense. Um, so anyway, that was a good opportunity to really bring that home since this is a podcast where we pick apart every detail. But the, but the, 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 but it, if you're noticing the details and you're bothered by the little details, it's probably just a symptom. It's because for whatever reason, you're not emotionally invested in the story, and therefore you notice all these things. Or even how many times do you read a story and you're like, okay, this works. And then you're like, and then later maybe maybe there's a really good reason it works. Okay, and it's not that, oh, no, it doesn't make sense, but it just works, and you know, I can't explain it. Sometimes it's almost the opposite is true, where like, yeah, it just works. Why does it work? You know, I'll have to think about it. And later you think, you know what? Years later, I actually realized that I, this is why this resonated with me or something, right? If you're eating a meal thinking about the ingredients, you're probably not fully enjoying it. It's when you're just eating and enjoying it for what it is. That's when you're really enjoying a meal the way it's supposed to be. Corn syrup is awesome. That's, I yeah. can eat a meal and not like the ingredients. My wife's like, what in the world is this? Oh, my goodness. Like, no, don't. No, it's fine. It's fine. There's your quote of the day, Talking Beast listeners. Corn syrup <laughs> is awesome. Really. In. If you get anything else out of if you get anything out of this podcast, get that. Uh, and red dye number four will not kill you. <laughs> uh, there's a the feeling of you know Diggory's taking responsibility. I know it, it's he's trying to save his mom, but he he's partially responsible for the witch being let loose um, around London, and he's got to fix it. He's got to get her out of this world uh, to prevent who knows how many people. Probably not the entire world, but a lot of people could certainly be hurt. So there's this. There, they think there is this lingering idea here of Diggory made a potentially catastrophic mistake and he's got to fix it. And I think that's something that's, that we're, that's an idea we're going to see echoed later in Narnia when Diggory lets the witch loose in Narnia. And it's like, Hey, just as you know, um, Adam's hand has caused the damage. Adam's hand's going to fix it. You know Um, I think there's kind of that idea starting to get set up here a little bit of he's responsible for this. He's got to fix it. Um, I think the only really major thing I have left is this, I think I usually read this chapter pr- really fast because it's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But it's, I kind of forced myself to read it really slow this time. That's where I went, wait a second, the witch is on top of that handsome, which has got to be one of the most nuts visuals in the Chronicles of Narnia. And I'm really happy Pauline Baines uh, chose to do an illustration. Um, and it, she it crashes into... The lamppost. I, I I read ahead a little bit the to make sure it's it's the lamppost that she rips or the, the lamppost's granddaddy. Yes, that she rips the arm off of. <laughs> That's wow, crazy little thing I never noticed before. But literally, the handsome is just about to crash into the lamppost. The witch jumps off and lands on the horse that's <laughs> pulling the handsome. <laughs> that's something where like if it's one of those things where I, I bet you if they do that, it's like a legless it, moment. It, it kind of is. And that's something where if they do that in the movie, like if I hadn't read the book very slowly just now and just went to see the movie and they did that, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, Hollywood. Oh, my gosh. Then somebody, maybe really in our gym fan, would say, actually, it's right there. It's in the source material. <laughs> it's yeah. right there. Can't argue so, with the source material. But I guess it's sort of like, man, can you make that not totally – off the rails crazy in the in the movie it's one thing to write it but can't it, but but it's almost like how can you not why are we even bothering with this book if you don't try to do <laughs> that this reading was the first time i noticed the bit with the the lamppost 
Uh huh. Oh, like, oh, you know, you noticed it too. We okay. should do like some cool cover art for this episode with like it's Jadis on the handsome, but she's got like the jet skis being pulled by Ron <laughs> Howard <laughs> jumping the shark. <laughs> that's great. Wow. Ah, oh, maybe I'll have to do that. Thank you. So if, if that's what we end up, if that's what we end up going with for the thumbnail, <laughs> you got really him to thank for it. Um, but uh, yeah, it really just seems like you can't not do that. If you like, it almost be like not doing the duffel puds and Don Treader. Not that level, but just like it. It's such a b- crazy image. It's like, look, are you making this book into a movie or not? Okay. Um, so they've got to at least attempt it. I think. What's your level of strength? You think is it? It's, so it's it's not Superman level. Is it Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America? Where does she kind of range on her super strength level? She does rip that lip bar of that lamppost off. She does throw Aunt Letty across the room. As I think, it, I think Lewis says, as if she's a doll. So she's strong. I'm th- I'm, like... I'm thinking Captain America. I think if she grabbed a piece of wood, she could just rip it in half. Yeah. But I don't think she's yeah. like I don't think she's like Superman. Like could throw Aunt Letty through a couple buildings. <laughs> Reverse time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, but if she tried to lift a car, what would happen? Like, I, I think you're probably saying, yeah, well, she, she could, she, but could she lift it over her head? She like hold the whole car over her head. I think she could, but she won't because that's what other people are for. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That is such a great summary of the witch character. We can adjourn this podcast now. We don't have to talk about the witch anymore. Um, yeah, I'd say she's probably close to Spider-Man level. So I think a Spider-Man is being stronger than Captain America. So I think it's, Wait, Spider-Man is stronger than Captain America. Oh yeah, really? Def- de- definitely. Like it's like Spider-Man. Ooh, oh boy, we have to save this for post-show chatter. Well, I don't know. I'm not the. I don't claim to be the Marvel comic expert so i think it was captain america as being as strong or maybe a little, a little bit stronger than a human could possibly get with it without superhuman Google. means you know is spider-man stronger than captain america i think i don't think a spider-man is being able to lift a car like over his head but he could like take the front end and like lift if someone was trapped under it he could lift it up and they could run away free so i think i don't think she could lift a car over her head but she could like you know lift the front part of it up or something like that with a lot of effort um, just throwing it out there. It's the top uh, search result if you search who is stronger, Spider-Man. Just throwing it out so, there. So, so, so Spider-Man is according to well, the no, world. Who is stronger, Spider-Man or Captain America, is the top search result. Okay. Well, I'll be curious to see what the consensus is. Write in. Let us know in the comments. Um, uh, one last bit I want to throw out here. A funny little bit. And again, maybe this is just an example of it's certainly an example of the fantastical and the mundane being mixed together. And, you know, I, I kind of believe in these people and that makes it real. As absurd as the situation is, someone gets uh, a black eye. Uh, Lewis writes, you ought to put a raw beefsteak on it, mister. That's what it wants, said the butcher's boy. <laughs> and I find that funny. It's got drum up sales. <laughs> trying to make a sale. Trying to make a sale. A black eye. I can fix that. Um Okay, well, maybe in the post-show chatter we can talk a little bit more about how strong superheroes are, but I was also thinking we could talk about our favorite Christmas movies. Uh, so Die Hard, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the age-old question. Is Die, die Hard a, is a Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, yes, actually it is. 100%. Totally not. I've actually never seen it. I just know the meme. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, troll. What a troll. 
Uh, okay, so if, if you want, if, if you want, if you don't want us to shut up, if you want us to keep talking about this stuff, uh, click the post chatter uh, post show chatter link below. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Um, we are done for the season. We will be back next season. That's how it works. Next uh, thank you year, so much. Next year, that's correct. We hope you've enjoyed this season. We made it. We'll be continuing <laughs> another year. We'll be continuing the magician's nephew. Uh, you're older. Maybe we'll finish it this time. Oh, you're older, a little dumber. <laughs> Hopefully you're not dumber after listening to us. We definitely um, are. Uh, so we, we will be continuing our Magician's Nephew commentary next season, and we'll be doing probably other things too, but certainly talk continuing that. Uh, let me read the outro, the last outro of this season. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Visit NarniaWeb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment below or in the Talking Beats Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia web. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Further up and further in. <laughs>